theyeshiva.net. The Balshamtev had a student on his deathbed. He looked out the window and he looked at the landscape and he said, Ah, world, world, how beautiful you are for those who don't believe in you, how tough you are for those who believe in you. So we're holding that on page 123, three lines from the top. Chukas, Samach Beis, column one. You were here yesterday? No, but I don't like that story. That's, that's... <laughs> wow. No, no, what he means. You know, just this story. I just said. Oh, well, well. I'm not denying if you surrender to the world you believe in everything who are you going to believe in Trump CNN who are you going to believe in Elie Wiesel I once heard from Elie Wiesel you know he suffered terribly lost much most of his family much of his family he was in Auschwitz so he struggled with God all his life afterwards. He wrote many articles. I don't know if you read Night. Night was, yeah. But he describes some very, very gory scenes and how it sh- shook up his faith. So I once heard from him that he would have long, long conversations about Amunna with the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the 60s for hours. And he said that once he, he turned to the Rebbe and he said, how can you believe in God after Auschwitz? How? You know what happened. How can you believe in a God after Auschwitz? She so says, the Rebbe looked at me and he said, who do you want me to believe in after Auschwitz? Man? You want me to believe in man after Auschwitz? If there's any faith left at all after Auschwitz, it can only be in God. Essentially, that's what the student of Moshe was saying. Who do you want me to put my hope in? The United Nations, Germany, Enlightenment, professors, intelligentsia, who? Roosevelt, Churchill, Stalin no comfort to the people who went through the Holocaust. No. Nothing is a comfort. But right. You're stuck. God took your family. God put you through hell. God uh, put you in some kind of bizarre torture chamber for four years or whatever it was. It was worse than a torture chamber. Yeah. So, need a good niggin. (laughs) (laughs) There's Crown Royal here if anybody wants. Moshe, say (laughs) Lechayim. Okay. Vizel Maimirazal. 
this mime is a very optimistic mime. On this page, someplace. Vizel, mime razal. This is the meaning of what the Chazal says: Sotan upnino l'shem shamayim niskavno. Our sages say that the Sotan and Pnino. Pnino was Chana's Tzara, meaning co-wife. Okay. Elkanah had two wives. One was Pnina, and one was Chana. Pnina had children. Chana and Pnina provoked Chana constantly, caused her tremendous anxiety and depression. So the Gemara says in Baba Basra Tazayin that Satan and Pnina l'shem Shemayim is kavan. Their kavana was l'shem Shemayim. Vaiter b'makam acher amru. And yet, there's a Gemara in Sukkah, Nun Beis, Nasan Eina B'mikdash Rishin V'achrivu. The Satan put his eyes on the first base of Mikdash, he couldn't stand it, and he destroyed it. Mashmashin Eskane Boy. Sounds like it bothered him, he was envious of it. So was it L'shem Shemayim, or was it not L'shem Shemayim? V'ha'inyin, who the answer is, Sheshoyder Shara Mechayeyu Hutoyv. Everything in the world needs life. Everything in the world needs oxygen. Ra, evil, negativity also needs oxygen. The source of everything, though, is goodness. In the Shairish, everything is tough. Back to the Zoyar, Parshish Truma. The Zoyar says, Is there an Evid who can rebel against his master? An Evid, a slave, can't rebel against his master. Asks the Balatanya, and therefore the Badaya says, even the Yetzirah is an Evid who can't rebel against his master. In other words, even the Yetzirah is a Shliach doing the work of Hashem for the sake of Hashem. And that's the Moshul that the Zayah gave to the Moshul Azayna. What's that Moshul? That the harlot was hired by the king to provoke, to entice the prince. By she doing that, she's really fulfilling only the plan of the king who wants to test the integrity of his child and cause him to flex his spiritual muscles. So therefore, she really doesn't want him to do it, although he thinks she does. The king doesn't want him to do it. She doesn't want him to do it. If he says no to her, she'll be happy. If he says yes to her, the king will be upset, and she will be upset because the king will be upset with her because ultimately she brought down, she brought out the downfall of her child. So essentially, on one level, she's asking him to do terrible things. On another level, what is behind it is pure goodness, a mission of the king, and she's completely loyal to the king. And the king is good; the king loves his son. So the Zoyer says, "V'chiyesh avde demarid b'mare." Can you have an Evid that rebels against his master? Asks the Balatanya, what do you mean? What type of statement in the Zoyer is this? You can't have an Evid that rebels against its master. There's plenty of slaves throughout history who broke out from their masters and they ran away. Sometimes you want an Evid to rebel against his master. Sometimes you want the slave to stand up and revolt and say enough, of enough, enough is enough and throw off the shackles and go away. The Zoya says there's no Evid who rebels against his master. 
So he says there's a type, there's two types of servants. When you're dealing with a physical Evid of flesh and blood, the master is a human being, the Evid is a human being, and they're two separate people. The fact that he owns you is unnatural. What gives any person the right to exclusively and absolutely own another human being? It's a complicated concept. The concept of avdus, of slavery, is a very complicated issue. So when you have an Eved, however you look at it, it's two separate people, my Chiyus and your Chiyus. The life force of the Eved, of the slave, and the life force of the Master, they're not connected, we're not organically connected, and yet somehow the fate of life caused you to completely own me. So I break away, enough is enough, you don't own me. That's because we're both of Adams. We're both humans of flesh and blood, and we have two separate organisms, we have two separate lives. Two separate souls, two separate psyches, and therefore, I want to belong to myself. I don't want to belong to you. The Pasuk says, Avad Ayhem, you're my slaves. Don't be slaves of other slaves. Avol, Avdei Hashem. Avdei Hashem, servants of Hashem, is a completely different picture. Shemikablim chiyusam imenu yizbarach. They receive all their chiyus, all their life from Him. V'hu amechayes hakoyl. And he is the one who gives life to everybody and everything at every moment. We say in davening in the morning, Va'ato mechayes kula. You remember these words? You ever think about these words when you say them? You should think about these words. They're very powerful. Ato Hashem levadecha, Ato sises hashamayim, Shmei hashamayim, V'chol tzva, Marz v'chol asher aleha, Leni deherst, Hayamim v'chol asher behem, Va'ato mechayes kula. You are Mechaya, everything is your Chiyas, everything you give life to. V'hu ha-Mechaya sakol, eich yesh Chiyas l'dover shekenegdoi. Ah, here's a big shayla, the question of all questions. How can something have Chiyas and it uses its life against Hashem, when the very ability to fight God is what? Godly. The ability to fight God is divine. Because anything I do comes from Hashem's oxygen, it's Hashem's energy. Everything comes from His chiyos. When you have a regular master and slave, the master doesn't create me. I don't need him to breathe, I don't need him to think, I don't need him to feel, I don't need him to live. He thinks I need him, but I don't need him. So I run away. You break out 12 years a slave, you break out. Yeah? to thank Abe Lincoln for abolishing slavery in the United States of America, 1865, <laughs> Civil War. I get it. But here's a paradox. Hashem gives chiyus to everything, including the one who rebels against Him. The ability to rebel, to rebel, you have to have mental space. You have to have life. You have to have thoughts. You have to have emotions. That itself comes from God. So how can anything in the world be used against the Rebbeinu Shalom when the very ability to fight Hashem is also divine? That also comes from Him. Ashayla. A good Ashayla, huh? That's what's bothering Zayar. Mishani. So the Zayar answers, But it's all like the harlot, the Zayna, 
with the prince. At the surface, she's rebelling against the king. The king wants his son to be an Erlich Mensch, an honest person, a fine person, an upright person who behaves in a moral fashion, who doesn't spend time in a promiscuous way, with Zoinus. So on the surface, she is the greatest enemy of the king. Who hired her? The king. In other words, that itself is part of the mission of the king. The king is the one who asked her to do this because he wants to bring out the power of his child. He wants the child to understand what a test is, what people go through, what temptation is. He should be able to withstand his own temptation, to be able to see the quality of himself to himself, and the father should be able to see his caliber, his moral caliber. So the Mela, the Ben, the, 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 the Zaina, on one level, is rebelling against the king, but really she's serving the king. That itself is part of the king's plan. And therefore, deep down, she wants him not to listen to her. Because at the surface, she's fighting the king, but really deep down, this is part of the king. So that's the answer of the Zohar. V'zehu dovar hamachayes kol harayis. And this is a marshal of the concept of the Dvar Hashem, the thing that gives life to Ura. That means that every single challenge, every single instinct, every single what we would call a negative experience, on one level it's Ra. Ask Zuzoya, but how could there be an Evid who rebels against his master? The answer is the Moshul Azayin in Ben HaMelech. What's that Moshul? That Moshul is that this itself comes from the king. That's what he says. V'zehu dover hamechayis kol harayis v'sharsham l'mayin lahu taif If you take it back to its source, it's goodness. V'kshayoyrid l'mata when it comes down al derech ishtalshalus in the path of Hishtalshlos of evolution, Nasa Ba'emes Ra Gomor. It taka becomes Ra. Taka becomes really negative. The Dinim Gomorim and complete harsh judgments. Hein Bemila Da Alma, whether it's in worldly matters, Hein Bemila Da Shmaya, whether it's in heavenly matters. Because the evolution, the Hishtalshlos, creates that change of the dynamic. A marshal would again be. If that Zoyna hires another Zoyna, and then she hires another one, and hires another one, another one, the last one doesn't have a relationship with the king anymore. It starts off with the first one who was hired by the king. The last one, all you hear of it, the first one, if you would really get to the bottom of her, really she says, don't follow my wishes. But the last one is already in a different state. This is what you call Ragama. The shaydish of it all is taif. If you go back to the source, it's taif. But the way it's manifested is, it comes out as negative. And that's what the prince experiences even with the first Zion, because he doesn't know what is behind her. He doesn't know what's behind it. All he sees is the negative experience. Now this is the reason, as we alluded to, the fact that there's no addiction in the world that a person takes and is satisfied with it doesn't work always leaves a void why? so one answer you'll always hear in the world of therapy is because it's not what you're looking for you're looking for something else there's even a deeper answer and that is it's not even what that is look, what, 
that can't offer it to you because you don't even get that. It's not like when you got the Zoyna, you got the Zoyna, because she really doesn't want it. Because she really doesn't want it, so only you're getting only the chitzoinius of her, you're not getting the panemius of her. Because she's really not enthusiastically involved. Because deep, deep, deep down, everything is toiv. So therefore, whenever you're taking the ra of it, you're not getting the full picture. You're not getting her fully. You're only getting her external services. You're not getting her internal services. And this is what a person feels. He's never getting it fully. Why is he never getting it fully? Because you can't get it fully. Because really, that does not want that you should fall prey to it. This is only here to bring out your goodness, because in its own source, it also comes from goodness. That means everything in the world could be experienced from two different perspectives. From a lower perspective and from a higher perspective. From a lower perspective, you're facing a real challenge. It's a challenge. Whatever the challenge is, Mila Dishmaya could be a spiritual challenge, a moral challenge. A person is self-stealing with a spiritual crisis or with a moral problem, whatever it is internally or externally. That's Mila Dishmaya. Mila Alma means a person is dealing with another great challenge in worldly matters. There's always two perspectives. On one level, on the surface, this is a major problem bothering me, it's sitting on my head, it's causing me anxiety, it's causing me worry, it's getting me into a bad mood, it makes me feel miserable, it gets me jealous, whatever it is, it causes me a lot of pain, a lot of alienation, a lot of despair. Whatever this challenge is, that's on one level. On a deeper level, on a deeper level, let's go back to this prince. If this prince would come home to his father and he would say, Tati, ich haban this beautiful woman does not stop knocking on my door. It drives me crazy. She is sick. She's the worst of the worst. And she's very enticing. Yosef had this with the wife of Potiphar. Yoim Yoim, the Pasik says, Day in day out, Shikhva imi, she'll be with me, be with me. A Gemara in Yuma, Hosugi in Yuma, the wife of Potiphar, used to dress up every morning and every afternoon and every evening a different uniform feel bad for her husband's credit card. <laughs> what Petifa's credit card looked like. Every day she had three different outfits for Yosef to impress him. She tried positive and she tried negative. A whole sugi in Yuma. Where is it? Lamed Hay, I think. Lamed Hay, Amed Beis. She threatened him, but first she went with good and with positivity. So you come to your father, you come to your mother, you come to your son, you come to your son, you come to this lady on one level. On another level, the ability for her to do this also comes. She's not a separate person. Hashem runs the whole world. Everything gets life from God. Even that which fights against Him. That itself comes from Him. The ability for a person to do a sin. I have to speak, yeah? I have to do, I have to live. That life at that moment comes from Hashem. That means there must be another perspective here. From one perspective, from the outer perspective, I'm facing Ra. Facing a tremendous problem, a tremendous crisis, a tremendous difficulty. Whatever that may be, Mila de Shmaya, Mila de Alma. Heavenly matters or worldly matters. On a deeper level, Va'ata Mechayes Kulam. If you go back to its source, you will see that you're dealing with something positive. What do you mean? Let's shot something positive. 
That's where we come back to the principle, Ein hadinim nimtakim All din, all harshness, all negativity, all pain, when you go back to the shayrish, you'll find sweetness. It'll be hamtak. It'll be, it'll be, with the metaphors that we gave earlier, you remember what we spoke, yeah? How can you say this to a Holocaust survivor? I wouldn't say this to a Holocaust survivor. But you believe it's still true. true. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that uh, I can always identify with this emotionally. I'm not going to say that to you. When it comes to such colossal evil like the Holocaust. The science I can also talk about. I'm talking from an emotional point of view. Some suffering is so powerful and so incomprehensible that when we look at it, when I look at it, when we look at it, we just like... I have nothing to say. And I think the Holocaust is one of those examples. But you believe it. But you intellectually you believe it alive. Right. Even there. You have to if you're saying this is true. Isn't that what Rev. Elfman said? He said that someone had a similar question. He talked about the field, how it's destroyed and then it's planted. But you think emotionally it's hard to identify with This is true or it's not true. You're right. You're right. Sometimes something is true, but one has to acknowledge that emotionally it's impossible to relate to in many situations, in some situations. And just to make it light and say, oh yeah, it's all good, it's it's all a good source and it's all divine. You know, I think a person in their own life could say it to themselves. I would have a very hard time saying it to somebody else about their life. Ultimately, people have to work this out in their own lives. You know, when somebody has been through something or is going through something, just to tell them it's all good is wrong. My job is to help them to the best of my ability. Whatever I can do to help. Physical, emotional, spiritual, empathy, compassion, etc., they tell a story that uh, there was a Rav in Varsha. His name was Rev Meislish, of Meisels, Rev Beryl Meisels. He was a Chashavi, the big Talmud Chachim. And he had a Maila, he had a big advantage. He had a yeshiva, but he supported his own yeshiva. He didn't have to fundraise. He had a company that, uh, he had a business where he exported lumber from the East to Western Europe. And it made a tremendous profit and he could support himself and his family and his yeshiva, which was wonderful. He didn't have to deal with fundraising and the favors from people and dinners and banquets. The supply was always greater, was always smaller than the demand. The demand was always larger than the supply. So one year he decided, let's take a risk. And he leased three big boats. He borrowed millions of ruble and he invested in Russian forests. 
from the government, he managed to obtain enormous quantities of lumber. You know, the forests in Russia are literally limitless and endless. Russia never ends. Napoleon didn't realize this, and Hitler didn't realize this, and they were both defeated. You can't defeat Russia. All you could do with Russia is you can cause them to, det- to retreat, because there's always somewhere to retreat. It's just Russia's too of a big fish to swallow. Napoleon and Hitler made the same mistake with, with, with Russia. Napoleon attacked in July 1812. Hitler attacked in June uh, 1941. They thought in a few months they're done, and then came winter, winter of 1812, winter of 1941, and Schoen. Yes. And France was defeated, and ultimately uh, Germany uh, was defeated. I mean, it took a few years, but Germany was also defeated. So that's Russia, you know. <laughs> Russia's a different uh, the Russians are the Russians you could tell this to Trump in my name so uh, so what happens here is he takes these forests to, he has these leases with Russia and a tremendous amount of lumber and if he sells them he makes a mint for himself and his children and his grandchildren Unfortunately, all the three boats sunk. I think it was the Black Sea. And uh, he lost it all. News comes back to town. Overnight, this great man who was a Talmud Chacham, a Rosh Hashiva, a Baltzdaka, a wealthy Jew, lost everything. He would remain a pauper to the last day, paying up debt to the Tsarist government, or the Russian government. The news came to Yeshiva, it always first comes to the mikvah, and then it comes to Yeshiva, that's the system of the news, and then it goes to the radio, and to the websites. So uh, the news comes to Yeshiva, and they say somebody has to tell them. Somebody has to tell Rav Meisels. Stay choose a bocher, smart kid, to go tell him the news. He says, I'll say, but say, do it with seichel, do it with sensitivity. You do the, they say that it was once a... Uh, a fellow who was gambling. He would go gamble every afternoon. And uh, once in the middle of the gambling, uh, he had a heart attack and he died. So the, one of the people said, we have to send somebody to the widow to tell her the news, but do it with Seichel. Mm-hmm. So he goes and he says, how are you? He says, you know, your husband went to gamble today? She says, I know my crazy husband every day goes to gamble and loses my money. I says, but today he lost $20,000. She says, tell him to drop dead. <laughs> guy says, he did already. Before you asked for it, he did already. So you have to know how to communicate with Seich. So he goes in, he goes into Rev Meisel's and he says, Rebbe Chabashayla, I have a question. Mishnah says in Brachas, the end of Brachas, chapter 9, You're supposed to thank Hashem for bad things like you thank Hashem for good things. I don't understand. How could you say thank you for bad fortune? Of course, a good rabbi doesn't even have to blink to have an answer. Doesn't have to (coughs) miss a beat. So he says, without missing a beat, it's very obvious. He says, what's so obvious? He says, two plus two equals four. It's basic, basic math. Says, what's the basic two plus two equals four? He says, do you believe that God runs everything in the world? 
He orchestrates every event in the world with every person at every moment. Yeah. He says, do you believe God is good? He says, yeah. Toiv Hashem Lakoil? No. Two plus two equals four. God orchestrates every event. God is good. That means every event is good. Comes from Hashem. He's good, so it's good. Good does good. Good looks good, it's good. So you say thank you for something good. He says, Rebbe, come on. Let's be practical. Somebody experiences a misfortune. How do they say thank you? He says, listen, two plus two equals four. Come some God, God is good. He says, Rebbe, emotionally, something bad happens. How do you say it's good? He says, listen, emotionally it may sometimes be complicated. But intellectually, it's very clear. And therefore you have to work on your emotions also. Intellectually, you have to understand it's good. You may not see it now. You'll see it in 10 years, in 5 years, in 100 years, in 500 years, in this world, in the next world. You may never see it, but God is good. God runs the world. Everything is good. He says, Rebbe, can I give a hypothetical example? He says, sure. He says, let's say somebody comes to you and says, all your three boats sunk. You're now in debt for the rest of your life. Your yeshiva closes down. You have to go beg for bread, for challah, for challah, for Shabbos. Plus you're in debt to the Russian government, millions of dollars. What are you supposed to do? I'm supposed to say, Baruch Hashem, thank God for the good news. Really? You believe it? He says, yeah. Plus two equals four. Hashem runs the world. He wanted it to happen. He's good. It's good. He says, Rebbe, last week you were dancing at your daughter's wedding with such simchem. If you hear this news about the three boats going down, hypothetically, should you also dance? He says, I wasn't thinking of that, but yeah, I should. It's a blessing, it's a gift. God runs the world, he's good, he did it, I should dance. He says in Yiddish, he says, Rebbe, heibon tansen. Rebbe, start dancing. He was a clever man, so he fainted. He fainted on the spot. He revived him with cold water. When he wakes up from his faint, the first words he said were these words. Now, I also don't understand the Mishnah. I think it's an important story. Why? Because when it comes to issues of pain, the the prerequisite is always to come from a place of empathy. Sometimes you have rabbis or other people who are experts. Right away something happens, they know why. They become experts on everybody else's life. This happened because of sneers. This happened because of iPhones. And by the way, it's always the women's fault, you know that. The men are never guilty. It's always the women. The women are always guilty in everything. It's because the men are the speakers, put up women speakers. Put up women speakers, they'll tell the truth. But besides that, first of all, who knows? Who understands? And even if somebody understands, even, which is very, very rarely the case, that you have a prophet who knows, the key prerequisite is always to empathize with another person and appreciate where they're coming from. Emotional connection. So when my students ask me in yeshiva sometimes, what do we tell? A person is in the Holocaust. Tell me, why did this happen? I said, I don't know what you should answer, but I do, I do know. Whatever you say, don't say why. 
whatever you say, for two reasons. First of all, you don't know. You're not Yeshaya Hanavi, you're not Yirmiya Hanavi, you're not Yecheskel Hanavi. Even Avram Avinu said he doesn't know. Imagine Avram speaks like this. They would put him in Cherem today. Avram Avinu says, the judge of the whole world behaves in an unjust way. Avram Avinu! Chutzpah? Who are you to speak like this to God? Moshe Rabbeinu tells Hashem, Why do you do such bad things? Yirmiyah Novi says, Why do good things happen? Why do the wicked prosper? David HaMelech, etc. The great believers don't have answers. They have questions. But because they believe, they have questions. If you don't believe, you don't have a question. If the world is a random place, there's no question. Why? Why not? Why? Because cookies crumble different ways. The very fact that there's a question means that there is deep faith. Without faith, there's no question. That's a very important idea. When people ask why, why is a religious question. It's not a secular question. For the secular atheist, there's no question why. Why? Why not? Because the world is a mistake. It's a random place. So different cookies crumble, different places, different ages, different places, and that's it. You live to 100, you're lucky. Not, not. It's only based on the idea that there is a creator who is moral and good that you could say why. That's why all these believers asked why. You have to be a mime to ask why. But they didn't have answers. They didn't have answers. At least for many things they didn't have answers. For some things, yes, but many things they didn't have answers. They didn't have a full grasp because it's too powerful to always understand is there a truth that God is good and he orchestrates everything yes but can I emotionally experience that always no and when somebody is suffering the first and foremost duty I have is to connect to them where they are to empathize with them to be there for them that's what God wants from me more than anything else I don't disagree with you about the truth of it. But you want to know if I could look at the Holocaust, read the, Holo- read the Holocaust literature, watch documentaries, listen to interviews, watch people and what they went through, and say, oh, this is good, I can't do that. Rabbi Avigdor Miller. Well, I know Rabbi Avigdor Miller's works. Right. I know. You know what he said about it. I know what Rabbi Avigdor Miller said. And how does that make you feel? It doesn't compute entirely. You want to say what Rabbi Miller said? I mean, I, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't read enough of it. Basically, he's saying that uh, nothing happened by accident. And they didn't, weren't doing what they should be doing. The Paschalah, the various things that we lost, uh, we were losing our traditions. And the from even weren't as good as they thought they were either, I guess. And uh, there had to be an upheaval, and a, I guess like a rebirth, a replanting, and uh, new fruit. New, th- that's my understanding, but I'm not an expert on what he said. That's just my understanding. How does that make you feel? You read his stuff. 
No, I heard it uh, blamed it a lot on the Tzioyim. I don't know if that uh, was part of it. Well, the Satmar Rebbe, the Divrei Yoyal, blamed it a lot on Zionism. He felt that the Zionist movement was the catalyst for the Holocaust. Rabbi Avigdor Miller blamed it on Zionism and secularism, modernity. So many Jews were secular and left Yiddishkeit and there had to be a hop evil and destroy them and create new fruit. Which didn't help. Yiddishkeit did it. I mean, the majority of Jews are not human in America, right? They didn't help. <laughs> right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? You got a point. This is Gehofen of Taita Bankas. The simulation today is worse than it ever was. You have cities of 90% intermarriage, 80%, 70%. And the Fruma Yidin today? <laughs> and, and by the Tzionim, there, there's hardly any uh, intermarriage. In Israel, you go to Israel, by the not religious, they're all marrying Jews. From the Rebbe, from the Rebbe, I would always hear, when he would talk about the Holocaust, and he would say, we don't understand. That was his law. Completely incomprehensible. Always. He said he doesn't know any one. Someone said I heard from him once publicly, talking nineteen ninety or ninety one. He says I can't imagine any sin that would justify and warrant such brutality and sadism and torture of so many millions of Jews, including the holiest of the holy, including a million and a half children. He felt that it was something off about Jews feeling the right to justify it. He once told a story that a gadol be Yisrael, he said, but I heard this from the Rebbe himself, a gadol be Yisrael came into the Rayats, the previous Lubavitch Rebbe. Rebbe just said a gadol be Yisrael went into my father-in-law and he started to justify the Holocaust. And my father-in-law told him, the Rebbe told him, you don't have to become a uh, an advocate for God. Was it an Indian of Limitz Chus or was it an Indian of trying to fix the, uh, the people and the, the wrong? And, I mean, the claim. This time I was trying to fix the... the the wrongdoing of and this is where a lot of amuna comes in what amuna means what's amuna part of amuna means a person can't always understand how things work out why things work out certainly how is this good a person may not be able to understand it and a person could be comfortable with the fact that the chaos of life they don't always understand, even if they really believe God is good and there's some meaning. To give a marshal takayosir from the Rebbe once. Not to explain the reason, but to give a perspective. If a person grew up in a jungle, and this person walks into a civilized community and is taken into a hospital... Person didn't grow up, a person grew up in a primitive society without any modern medicine. Goes into a hospital and sees a, a doctor, a team of doctors in a uniform, in uniform, with knives, 
cutting open the flesh of a poor old sick man. The man starts screaming, Murderer! 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 And go explain to this man that the patient is paying these physicians $40,000. Which insurance is not covering. And sees them as his divine angels, right? Guardian angels to save his life. He just doesn't know what a surgery is. He doesn't know what an operation is. So we have here an example of sometimes my mind simply does not understand what is happening, even though it may be very good. In my mind it's evil. And we can understand that. We can appreciate that. So God may have his plans, but I may completely not comprehend what is going on. And I'm fine with that also. I'm fine with my limitations. But emotionally, it doesn't mean it's not very, very painful. The Maimah is not discussing pain. Painful it is. There's a difference between it being absolutely negative and evil and just destruction for the sake of destruction, or it being painful, but having in it a source that is goodness, even if though it's manifested in our world as Ragam. Where I think this becomes very valuable today is when it comes to a person's individual life, about how we deal with our own challenges that we face. You could face your challenges from two perspectives. You could see it from the outer perspective, in which it's just bad. And you're like, God, get this out of my life. Why did this happen to me? Or you could see it from a deeper perspective, and that is try to find what is the shayrish of this. And in the shayrish you'll find that ultimately the zoyna is rooted in the king. In other words, this was sent to you in order to allow you to fulfill your mission in this world. And as a result of that, it shouldn't demoralize you. It should rather mobilize you to become the person you're capable of becoming. Thank you, everybody, for your candid comments. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.